You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Are you guys ready for a exhausting holiday? Because it has arrived. It is here this week. And they lit the Christmas tree at the Firewheel Town Center here uh, this past, uh, last night, this weekend. And um, it is, it is, it has begun. Holidays. Anybody by any chance have a Christmas tree up? Really? <laughs> you did too? Wow. Who else? Raise it up. You're proud of that Christmas tree. All right. That's a, how many of you put it up on Thanksgiving? How about, how about the day after Thanksgiving? How about the two or three days before Christmas? All right. Just curious. I, I moved here from Indiana and, uh, and I came from a home that always had real Christmas trees. So, um, uh, we never, we've never had a real Christmas tree. Nicole's kind of worried that it was going to burn the house down. So we, uh, we never had a real Christmas tree in our marriage, which is fine because it's nice having a, a, an artificial tree because you can put it up anytime you want. Up north with the real Christmas tree, we could not, uh, put it up, uh, until like maybe a couple of weeks before Christmas because it would die. You'd have to keep it watered. You have to put this food in there. And the petals, they just, you know, they just fall off. The pine needles, they just fall off. Uh, they're not petals, I know. Uh, the pine needle, it's a big flower. That's it. Didn't you hear that tradition? Um, no, the pine needles would just fall off. Uh, and it was a mess. And usually we could not wait till Christmas to take that thing down. I mean, sometimes it was Christmas night, it was on the curb, right? So uh, I like that we get to have a longer Christmas experience with the artificial tree. We get, we do put ours up pretty close to Thanksgiving, if not the, the night or the day after, usually the day after or the, within the next couple of days. And then it is there until February 14th. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually there a week after Christmas, like January 7th, because that's, did you know that's technically when Christmas season's over? We're going to talk about that when we get to our Christmas season. Today, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk about the chair. Actually, it's much more than the chair. I'm going to talk about the power. Bless you. I'm going to talk about the power of this. Now, I was actually going to come up here and just start griping about everything, about the sound, about the lights. And I, and I was, I was sitting over there thinking, what are some things I could gripe about? And honestly, that praise and worship was so good. And it was so exciting to see people join this. I had nothing bad to say. And then when I was trying to make stuff up, I'm like, all it did is make me sound like, like a jerk. Right. And I, and I thought, you know what? I couldn't do it. Today, we're going to talk about I quit complaining. Today, as I quit complaining, I was actually going to pretend that I was complaining about stuff, but it just didn't feel right because things were just so good, you know? And it's like when you really see what is good, you just have a hard time even trying to complain. Today, we're going to find and discover the key to quit being negative. Now, how many of you know somebody who's just negative all the time? How many of you would say it's the person next to you? No, 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 don't raise your hand. Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. How many of you, some of you still have your arm up. How many of you would, no, I don't want to get too personal because then you guys, who's in your family? And like, how many of you think that you are that person? You know what? I'd be honest with you. I think I'm pretty complaining, pretty negative. Um, you're like, man, some of you are already like, oh, the worship took forever. And then some of you are like, man, the worship wasn't long enough. Some of you are like, man, Ted just keeps going on and on. There's nobody that ever says, I think, boy, I wish it was longer, but I wish there were. Um, some of you say, man, the music's so loud. The music's too soft. We're like, man, the service at this place, uh, it takes forever. This waiter, this waitress, this food is cold. That's not what I ordered. It tastes bad. Man, there's no cell phone service. I've only got three G's on my 4G. Ugh. For some of you, you have a spiritual gift of complaining. And you are so good at it. Some of you might be thinking, oh, great, a dumb sermon on complaining. 
guess what? You've come the right Sunday. This is your day. Um, what people are tempted to complain about, these are some of the things that people are tempted to complain about. Um, a survey was taken, and this is some of the things. Job, um, I hate my job, and then uh, I don't have a job. Um, I'm too busy, and then I'm too bored. Uh, by the way, I, my, my daughter, when she was younger, uh, quite a bit younger, um, she would walk around the house going, I'm boring, I'm boring. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. I think she was going for bored. So some people complain that they're too busy. I'm busy all the time. Some of you are like, oh, I'm so bored. Some of you are like, man, I wish I didn't have kids. Oh, they just, man. And then some of you are like, why don't I ever have kids? God, I want kids. Some of you are like, uh, you know, my husband, he always does this. He always does that. And some of you are praying, God, send me a husband. Send me, send me a wife, some of you. Uh, I don't know if guys actually pray that sort of prayer. You probably should. Because there's some women already praying for you. Um, some of you, uh, housework. I, oh, man, there's always dishes. There's always laundry. You know, uh, I wish I lived alone. And then some of you are like, oh, I'm alone. God, I wish I wasn't alone. Some of you are like, man, uh, you look in the mirror. I wish my body was different. I wish I looked different. I wish I had a different face. I wish I had brown hair. And then those of you with brown hair wish you had blonde hair. And those of you with blonde hair wish you had red hair. And some of you are like, Alicia, and you get them all. <laughs> right? Blue hair. I wish I had blue hair. She's got that too. Some of you is like, oh, traffic. Man, there's just traffic. There's lights. I'm hitting every single light. And some of you wish you had a car to sit in traffic with because you're sitting at a bus stop and you're angry about how long it takes for the bus. Not having a car. Man, this, some of you can find a way to complain that the beach is too sandy. There's sand in everything. God, the sun on my vacation is just too bright. The sun, if you could just make it a little shady. Some of you are like, um, man, you know what really, really gets me, what really bugs me? People who complain. I hate that. (laughs) So have you noticed that there are entire groups of people built around dislikes? There are blog sites, hate sites, hater sites. All they do, it's a whole communities of people that revolve around complaints. There are entire websites revolving around politics of people they don't like, right? The anti-fill-in-the-blank sites or the anti-movie sites or the anti-comic book movie sites or the, the stores. There's entire stores dedicated to what people don't like in websites and blogs. And there are websites dedicated to people who don't like church. There's, there's a website called churchrater.com, rater, like rating system. It's quite interesting, and it's people that travel the country and go to church and write reviews over them, and it's, it's full of everything that they hate about these churches. It's a very interesting, very interesting website, Church Rater. It should be called Church Hater because half the people on there hate every church they go to. There are complainers in the Bible. In fact, after the fall, when Adam and Eve fell, the very first thing that came out of Adam's mouth was a complaint. God, if you hadn't given me that woman, it was her, man. She's just, oh, Lord, she doesn't listen to you. She doesn't sure, look, she sure doesn't listen to me. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> You're single, right? I was, I was curious. I think that's, I think that's true. He blamed and complained. Job had a lot to complain about. Maybe you guys know the story of Job. Here's a guy who lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost his, uh, his work, his job, his health. He became deeply ill and sick. And his wife, who he wished he had lost, was telling him to, you know, you should go kill yourself. I mean, she was not an encouraging woman. And this is what he said in Job 10.1. He said, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint. He says, I will not filter my complaints. I'm not holding back. And he says, and I will speak out in the bitterness of my soul. And he goes on for 20 chapters being negative. I mean, I'm not giving up on you, Jesus. I'm not giving up on you, God, but I hate my life. And you know what happened? God shows up 
and gives him a spiritual whipping that's actually quite intense. So even though he had a lot to complain about and rightfully issues in his life to feel bad about, God still reprimanded him because he still should have filtered his complaining. Probably the most popular story in the Bible is where we're going to sit today is in Exodus. And there's a story, uh, actually it's throughout the entire book of Exodus, that we're going to look a snapshot of some verses in Exodus of, of the people who left Egypt. Maybe you've heard of the story of the Ten Commandments and how they left Egypt. And it seemed like a happy ending on the Cecil B. DeMille Ten Commandments story because Moses led them and let my people go. Charlton Heston led the people out of Egypt. And they they got the Ten Commandments, and yay, and the story ends well. No, it didn't end well. In fact, they were all a bunch of complainers and gripers and negative and grumblers, and uh, it didn't set well for them. We're going to find out what happened to all that negativity. Um, here's the verse we're going to kick off with, Exodus 16, 2. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, Aaron was like the second guy in charge. He was the, he was the head priest. They complained about the food. They complained about the heat. They complained about all the walking. They complained about the weather. They complained about their shoes. They complained about their clothes. They complained about all the things that God was providing for them. They, and they complained in Egypt too. They were negative Neds and negative Nancys. If your name is Ned or Nancy, don't take it personal. I just needed inwards. They were negative Ned and Nancy's. As a result, a two-week trip from Egypt to the promised land, which could have, should have only been two weeks, took 40 years. He says, you want to complain? Well, plan on not going anywhere in your relationships, at church, at work, or at school. Here, guys, listen. If you don't get this settled today, you will wander in every relationship, in every area, in every job, In every pursuit of your life, you'll never get anywhere until you get this, just like their story. This is not about problem solving. This is not about having a a constructive criticism conversation. This is not about having an opinion because we need constructive criticism. We need people to come into our life and to challenge us and to fine tune and to find areas of improvement. That is not what we're talking about. Here's a definition of negativity. Negativity is commenting on or having a cynical attitude toward something you will not or cannot make better. That's my definition. And I think that is a great definition. It's commenting on or having a cynical attitude toward anything or something you will not or cannot make better. Therefore, it's just complaining. So constructive criticism is something you can and are encouraging and hope to be a part of making something better. This is just pure negativity. Things that you can't change. Things that your words won't make a difference, your attitude, the rolling of your eyes, the gruffling under your breath, those attitudes and the the gossip that started over the negativity that you feel over a certain person. This is what I'm talking about. This is pure negative complaining. So let's take a look through the Exodus story at a few things. We're going to look at why we complain. Let's look at this. We see ourselves in the desert with Moses. Exodus fourteen eleven says this. It says, they said to Moses, what, uh, he says, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I think that is hilarious. That is so funny. Those guys, not only were they negative, but they're witty too. That's, <laughs> were there no graves in Egypt? <laughs> That's pretty witty. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? No, they never said that. In fact, they said just the opposite. He says, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. You know, want to know why we complain? Here's the number one reason. Is it because things didn't turn out the way we want? We complain when things don't turn out the way we want. This was not what they expected. 
They expected, man, rainbows and, and unicorns and care bears and, and flying horses or whatever. They expected things to be wonderful and great. Man, Jesus, I'm following you. And then they walk into a life of trial and problems. And some of you, you're, 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 you're looking at your marriage. You're like, man, this is not what I expected. You're looking at having kids. This is not what I, this job is not what I expected. This day, this weather, this meal, this marriage, my family, my health. God, I thought I was going to be healthier. I thought I was going to live longer. God, really, God, really? Hey, guys, heads up. Things never turn out the way we expect. You know, I, when I do weddings, I did. we did one last night. A couple of our college-age people, Robert and Samantha, uh, now Robert and Sam Cruz was Samantha Lennox. They got married last night. And uh, when I do weddings, I often say, you know what? Uh, the, the, the most difficult days of your life are ahead of you. The, the most trialsome experiences of your life, you will experience trials. I mean, we get married and we think, man, it's just going to be like, like some kind of two-hour movie. You know, it's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. We'll have a little, little trouble, but, you know, somebody's going to be chasing somebody down an airport runway at some point. Right? <laughs> somebody's going to jump on a bike and run through the city of New York. You know, jumping over cabs to rescue a relationship or to stop something before they get on a plane. And then we're going to miss it. We're going to show up at their parents' house or at their friend's house. And we're like, you were right. And then we're going to live happily ever after. That's not life. Somebody's going to get sick. We're going to lose somebody we love. We're going to get fired. We may lose a job. We may go broke. Something might happen to one of our children that we don't expect. Life doesn't turn out the way we expect, so we complain. Here's another reason. It's because we don't see the goodness of God in our life. You say, listen, God, really, um, you're good? And I want you to know some God really is and has been good to you. We're going to talk a little bit about this today. This is about the power of the chair. We're going to talk about the power of of this chair. God has really been good to you. You are here, you're breathing, you are loved. We take for granted God's blessings. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Back in Egypt, they were crying out to God. Look at this in Exodus chapter 3, before they went uh, to the desert, before God led them out. This is what they said when they were captives in Egypt. They said, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, the Lord said, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. They would beat them and uh, control them, and they were slaves to the Egyptians. He says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They cried out to God to get out of Egypt, and God did. He blessed them. He showed them miracles. He provided for them. He gave them wonders, and now they're crying to go back, and we do the same because we don't see what God has done in our life. We don't see the blessings that God has laid out before. We just look at our situation and go, God, are you really good? God, so yeah, just, just look back a little bit. Think hard because you're alive today. Well, God, you don't know because I lost someone I love. But you had that person that you loved, right? Isn't that good? Wasn't it great that you got to live those years with that person? I talk to to uh, sometimes parents who have lost a child uh, unexpectedly for whatever reason, maybe even newborns, and uh, or or maybe a child, and the pain is unbearable. It's so it's so deep. It's you're like God. Why? How can you be good, God? How is that a blessing? And I asked, I said, would you have rather had no child or the child for three days or that child for three years or that child for five years? So, man, I'd have that child for a day. I'd, have, I'd want to hold that child for an hour than to not have that child. Well, then you were blessed because you got that. See, we, we forget the blessings that God has given us. We pray for it, we get it, and then we complain about it when we get it. Lord, give me a job. And then 30 days later, well, they don't pay me enough. You say, God, I need a car. God, give me a car. God blesses you with a car. And then you're like, ah, this car has too much miles on it. It takes too much gas. God, give me a house. You get a house. You know, man, God, man, the air conditioner needs fixed. And the roof is, man, I got to mow the yard. It's like 110 degrees outside in Texas. And you're like, you know, you want a TV. I got, God, I, I need something bigger than a 40-inch. Come on. 
How can I see the details on my Blu-ray DVD player? It's high definition. High definition means it looks better than real life. God, give me a wife. And then you get one. God, give me a different wife. God, give me kids. Give me better kids. God, give me a church. And then you get to your church and you're like, you realize we're all a bunch of sinners and none of us are, are perfect and we don't have it together. And then we complain about that. When we complain, we are accusing God of not being God to us and not being good to us. We are making a charge against God saying, God, what I have is your fault. And the things that I don't like, it's your fault. And we complain because we don't see the goodness of God in our life. The same story, Numbers eleven four says, the rabble who were with them. Let me, I bet you guys didn't know this. The rabble is a group of people that actually left Egypt with the Hebrews. They were not Hebrew people. They were a miscellaneous mixed group of Egyptian citizens that were not the uh, descendants of Abraham who actually left with them. In fact, Moses referred to them a lot and called them the mixed multitude. And they were also called the rabble. And these rabble, they received the blessings of God just like the Hebrews did because they chose to follow the people of God and chose to follow the God of those people. God honored their decision even though they weren't Hebrews. And they were called the rabble. It says, but the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, so they were both complaining, the rabble and the Israelites. He says, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. I'm like, how in the world? I'm thinking, how did you give fish at no cost? Oh, they probably went fishing. He says, fish at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, mm, the melons, mm, the leeks. I don't know what that is. It sounds gross. The onions, and my wife likes this one, mm, God, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this dumb manna. All we see is this manna, God. Manna was how God provided for them. God provided for them in different ways in the wilderness. They were in a desert region, and God said, you know what? I'm going to, every night, I'm going to rain down from you food from heaven, bread from heaven. They didn't know what it was, so they called it, what is it? That's what the word manna means. Manna means, what is it? So they, what is it? That's what we'll call it. What is it? So they had, what is it every day? But I want you to write this down. Yeah, some of you might be complaining too. What is it? Some of you, that's what you get for dinner every night, right? <laughs> Honey, what is it? <laughs> We've had manna a few times at our house. Why are we complain? <laughs> Number three, because we're not satisfied with what we have. Some of you complain because you're just not satisfied with what you have. We want something different. God has miraculously provided for them, but they wanted something else. You, you, you see what God has given you, and then you look over there, oh, but I want that. You know, you order something at a restaurant, and you sit down, and you're like, oh, but I, I, sure, I wish I would have gotten that. I wish I'd have ordered that. You know, or you... You, you do that in your marriage with your kids and your job and your relationship with your car. Something you get a car and all of a sudden you get it on the road and you think, man, everybody has the same car. You ever notice that? You never notice your car until it's a car you buy and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere. Yeah, man, I should have got a different car. This is what they were, I mean, they were saying, God, I'm tired of manna bread. I'm tired of manna loaf. I'm tired of manna casserole. I'm tired of those banana splits. And, and Moses is thinking, but you remember you got beat in Egypt, right? Remember you were a slave there. Remember you were abused, right? We don't remember, so we're not satisfied with what we have. Some of you are never satisfied with what you have. You think this or that will satisfy you, and negativity is a thirst for satisfaction. So some of you, you're negative all the time because you just aren't happy with what you have. Exodus 16, 2 goes on and says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Man, God, just kill us now in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. That does sound pretty good, doesn't it? Big pots of dead cow. Actually, I'm a big steak lover. I would love to sit 
and have Thanksgiving a giant steak. The entire cow on the table. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Instead of a chicken or a turkey or a duck, you have a cow, like a big giant, just slice it right off like Pogo de Chow or something. All right, maybe not. A giant rotisserie in the back with a, with a big cow on it. Like, yeah, that's my Thanksgiving. Try to deep fry that, right? It says, there they sat around pots of meat and ate all the food they wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Here's another reason we complain, because we're constantly comparing our life to others. They were saying, man, we had this over here, or they have this. Man, back in Egypt, they're eating meat right now, and we're eating this. Man, we're always hungry. We don't get melons. We don't get leeks. We don't get to, we don't even have garlic to season our manna with. God, man, what is going on? You, we are comparing ourselves, comparing what you have, what you don't have, what you wish you had. They have a better God. How come they get the better house? How come they have the better car? God, how come they make more money than me? God, how come their marriage is in better shape than mine? God, how come their kids behave better than me? How, uh, better than mine? How, <laughs> that was a, uh, Maybe that was a a true statement there. I don't know. Basically, many of you guys are looking at what other people have. You're, you're, man, Facebook is notorious for breeding the comparison game. Because we look at all their vacation pictures, or you look at each other's. I mean, we all do it. I put put pictures out on on ours, and because I want to share with my friends that are on Facebook with the joys of our life. But we, you know what we do? We turn that into comparing. Well, how come we never do something like that? How come we don't take pictures like that? How come you don't sparkle in your eyes like that? How come we don't have any selfies together? (laughs) I want that. Here's another reason, and this is basically the big reason why we complain is we don't trust God. We just don't trust God. As we find ourselves being negative and comparing what we don't have, it's because we really don't trust God. Exodus 14.11 gives us the scenario. It says, they said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Basically, they're saying, it's God's plan for us to die here, isn't it? No, it's not God's plan at all. It's not God's plan at all. They did not trust that God was working in their life. They didn't trust that the desert was leading to a promise. They didn't trust that the trials was leading them to a better life and to deeper and richer character, to a group of people that were going to shape and be a light to the world. They couldn't see it. They could not trust that God was at work in their life for their future. Listen, God has a plan for you. And Moses was telling them, guys, God has a plan of milk and honey, a land that is rich in resources, a place of freedom where crops are grown in abundance, where there will be great peace and where I will be your king. Moses says, God will be your king. God is saying to you, but they did not trust that God had a good plan for their life. He did not, they did not have trust in God because they did not understand this chair. They did not understand what this chair is about. Maybe you don't know yet. We're getting there. They didn't understand the power of the chair. So negativity is a huge issue. Real quick, some of the costs of complaining, the cost of being negative. Real quick, this is the rotten fruit of negativity. Number one, complaining offends the heart of God. Now, don't you just love it when your kids are given like presents and gifts, right? Where it's birthday or Christmas is coming up and within a couple of days they're walking around the house, I don't have anything to do. Just makes you want to go, pow. I love punch. That's all it is. Just a, That sounds horrible. Mark that from the record. Do not encourage that. Some of you, it just makes you frustrated. You know, when your kids complain about what they don't have when they got a room full of stuff, what's it make you want to do? Take it all away. You, <laughs> you, want, you want to be bored? I'll make you bored. Give me your phone. Give me your iPod. Give me that laptop. All computer, no TV, all those games. 
Let me have them all. All those activities, let me have them all. All those things, you don't have nothing to wear? Well, guess what? Now you don't. You have a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, and it's the jeans you don't like. So how about that? Right? We don't have anything to eat. Well, now you don't. Here's a piece of bread and some water. You will sustain. It makes, man, it makes you feel angry. You know what? This is, you know, God feels the same way uh, about complaining and negativity. Numbers 11, 1 and 2 says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Man, he was stirred with anger. Then fire from the Lord burned down among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. God was so irritated with their negativity and their griping and their complaining that he rained down fire from heaven. Guys, listen, if you come home and you find the edges of your yard are singed, don't be surprised. It offends God so much, it makes him angry so much. At its core, complaining and negativity is pure disrespect and resentment towards God, and it angers him. It is a spit in the blessings of God in your life. Numbers 14, 26, the same story told in Numbers. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? Guys, I want you to, want you to hear me. You think you're complaining about your boss. You think you're complaining, you know, to your friend or to your husband or to your wife about what's out of your control. Remember, complaining and negativity are things that you will not and cannot make better, Right? And you think, well, I'm just complaining this, about this person. I'm complaining about this job. I'm complaining about my school. I'm complaining about my teacher, about my homework, about this sport, about my paycheck, about my car. Listen, God says, you think you're complaining to Moses and Aaron, but God says, man, you're complaining against me. You're not grumbling about your boss or about your wife or your friends or your situation. You're grumbling to God. And God's saying, listen, I am the one who gave you everything that you have, and I am the one that gives you life. And he says, I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. God was done with them. Complain to God long enough, and you just might get what you're griping about. We will never get there. Well, God says, well, you know what? You won't. This has taken so long, man. We're never going to eat anything else but manna. Well, you know what? Now you won't. We're going to die out here. God, did you bring us out here to die? Well, I did now. Well, you're going to die right here. I want you to write this down. This is a, a, a cost of complaining. Complaining withholds God's favor. Not only does it offend God, but it withholds God's favor. The very thing you want, you're not going to get. The promised land will be passed on to your kids, but not to you. A life of peace, but not for you. I will give you something to complain about. You're going to wander out here till you die. That's what he told him. Look at Numbers uh, 14, 29. It says, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, no one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Out of that entire generation, only two men stood up and said, we can do this. This is a good thing. God has been good and God has been faithful. And that is why Joshua was given charge after Moses. Moses even had a negative attitude and was had anger issues and disobeyed God. And Moses himself did not get to go into the promised land. God honored Moses and said thank you to Moses and did not let Moses die in the desert. But he did say, Moses, you're not going in either. And had Moses take a walk up to the mountains and God took him. Joshua was left in charge. He was the senior in charge, literally the senior. A generation. He had to wait till everyone was dead. This is something that complaining does. It costs them complaining. It drives people away. It drives people away. God told them the next generation will go, but not you. Listen, all their kids who grew up in the desert could not wait to see their parents die. At the drop of the last one, man, we're moving in. 
<laughs> Love you, Dad. I love you. Now, we would never think of doing anything like that. But complaining, it drives people away. They did not want them around. They could not wait for their own family and their friends to be gone. Negative people have spiritual bad breath. Have you ever been around somebody who has bad breath and don't say me? My wife helps me out. She makes sure I have gum all the time. But have you ever been around somebody who's talking to you about bad breath? You're talking to him, and what do you do? <laughs> so there's something that just drives people away. When you're around someone with bad breath, you just step back. You know, and negativity is like spiritual bad breath. Here's a recipe. For a miserable marriage, go home and complain. Here's a recipe for a a horrible experience at work. Just gripe about your boss, about your coworkers, about the hours, about every. Here's a way to have a horrible, a recipe for having a horrible relationship with your kids. Gripe about them and to them, complain to them about everything they always do wrong. And I promise you'll have a miserable relationship with them. You will drive them away. You will miss out on God's promised land for you. Complaining will cost you a lot. It brings significant consequences in our relationships. Honestly, if you want to complain, you can pretty much find anything to complain about all day, right? If you look, you could find something every day to complain about. You know, there's a, that is actually a mindset. It's called perceived bias. It's basically this perspective that you already have a view that is defined by a specific desire and want and perspective. And so whenever it doesn't meet that perspective or that desired bias, you automatically don't like the environment in which you're in. And, and we could find all day things to complain about. This can actually, I was reading about this this week, this can actually change the way you process thoughts. If you lived a perceived bias or negative life, you ultimately change the way your brain functions and processes information, and it can lead to depression and an overall poor view of life. And these are the people that really struggle with relationships. Negativity is a sin, it is damaging, and it is destructive. So how do we not complain? I want to wrap up with just the last few minutes, how to restrain, restraining our complaining, all right? Choose today to quit complaining, and this is what it is about, the power of this chair. It's time to deal with the rabble in our life. Here's the first thing you need to do. Stop complaining and start being thankful. This chair represents the thankful chair. We're going to watch a video here in a minute that kind of illustrates this that I came across. And this chair represents our ability to just rest and focus on what God has done that is good in our life. We have to make a conscious decision to stop complaining and start being thankful. We've got to decide that we are going to be different. Philippians is going to unpack how we can walk out of here a changed person, how we can restrain, complain. And Philippians gives us that story. Here's Philippians 2, 4 says, do everything. Everybody say everything. Do everything, everything without complaining or arguing. Now, some of you are like, oh man, I'm going to put that on my refrigerator for my kids. This is not just a verse for your kids. This is a verse for you, mom. This is a verse for you, dad. This is a verse for you, friend. This is a verse for you, for your marriage, for your school, for your, for the way you do work in everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Paul also wrote to a church in Ephesus, and this is what he says in chapter four. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk or negative talk that word unwholesome is the word for rotten fish or spoiled fish. Man, you ever been around somebody, things are going great, all of a sudden a conversation goes bad, someone's griping, negative, complaining attitude, and you, just, you don't want to 
man, the whole evening seems like a bore after that, right? It's like, I don't even want to go out with this person anymore. Have you ever been on a date that just turned like that over a negative comment? He says, don't let unwholesome talk or spoiled fish talk come out of your mouth. That's the imagery of the spiritual bad breath. He says, God, by the way, imagine how much less we would talk if we didn't complain. Some of you guys, you wouldn't have anything to talk about. He said, but don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. And think about it. What if we decided that we were going to stop being negative, stop complaining, start being thankful, start utilizing the power of thankfulness in our life, sit and rest in the chair and, and, and talk less, listen more, find something we're thankful about. And if it's something we can make better than have with a kind and humble attitude, constructive criticism. But if it's not something we can change and it's not something we're willing to change, then shut up. Just don't talk. Stop complaining. Some of you guys, listen, God says do everything without complaining or arguing. Man, I'm with you on this. I'm with, this is something we all have to rein in all the time. Gratitude is more than an attitude. It is a decision and an action. Stop complaining and start being thankful to God. This is the who, that is the what, this is the who. Philippians 4, he goes on, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say always. I will say it again. He says, rejoice. So we say it again. Say it again. Rejoice. Let your greatness, or sorry, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Man, that's good. Man, God is near. Everywhere you go, he is with you. All that negative attitude that you know offends the heart of God, that complaining that you know offends the heart of God, he's not, he's not a church. He's with you. He is near. He is with you. He says, it is evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. He says, but in everything, by prayer, and petition, that means making your request made known to God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. With thanksgiving, with a heart of gratitude. Guys, listen, our prayers would totally change if we started with thankfulness rather than God I want, God I need, God I want you to do this because I don't like this, I'm unsatisfied with this, I want more of this, I'm comparing my life to this. All the reasons we complain, that's why we pray. But if we started with, God, I'm thankful. God, I'm thankful for my wife. God, I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful that while I don't have a job, I get to rest a little bit for now and then. God, thank you for my car that doesn't always work. God, thank you for the bus that gives me a way to get to work. God, thank you for friends that care about me. God, thank you that I have a Friday night to myself. God, thank you that I have kids that that still want to be at home. God, thank you for my kids that are ready to spread their wings and leave my home. God, thank you so much for the sandwich. God, thank you for the breath that I'm breathing. God, thank you for the grace that was shed for me. God, thank you for the blood that poured down Calvary. God, thank you. God, I guess I don't have anything I need. Our prayers would change. Our requests would change. Our petitions would change if we started with thanksgiving. Make your prayer requests be made known to God. And this is what follows. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the result. Gratefulness is a key to the peace of God at work in you. Some of you, you can't figure out why you're so stressed all the time and why you're just irritated all the time and why you're angry all the time and why you feel unfulfilled all the time. Thankfulness, gratitude is the key. Man, I've never known anybody that's ever been free. I've never known anybody who's ever been free who didn't have a grateful heart. Some of you, I've never known anybody who's gotten off drugs who's been unthankful. I've never known anybody who's laid down the bottle who hasn't been grateful. I've never known anybody who's had a healthy relationship who hadn't found the thankfulness of God first. I'm telling you guys, it is the key. It is the key to peace, to the peace of God at work in your life. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Man, we serve a mighty God, a mighty kingdom, 
It can't be shaken. I'm thankful, Lord, that when hell breaks loose in my life and everything's falling apart, I am thankful because I serve in a God and am a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You will never fully experience the presence of God without thankfulness. You'll never do it. Here's the second thing. You need to refuse to play the comparison game. First one is stop complaining. Start being thankful. Number two, stop comparing yourself. It will leave you frustrated. It will leave you unsatisfied. It will leave you unfulfilled. It will always leave you looking for more and you'll never have enough unless you decide to quit playing the comparison game and be thankful for what God has given you. Philippians 4, he goes on to say, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Everybody say whatever the circumstance. Man, God, when I don't have anything, I have enough. Think about this. I heard the uh, speaker say this recently. What if, what, how differently would your attitude be if you needed nothing? How differently would your attitude be if you had all the money you needed? If your relationships were just, were enough? How differently would your attitude be if you had no more prayer requests? Right? How different would it be? Man, you'd be kind. You'd be positive. You'd be giving. Guess what? You have everything you need. You have everything in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I know that I'm content because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret God provides, and I have all I need. That's the secret. First Timothy 6, 6 says, yet true godliness with contentment is true and great wealth. Guys, listen, you want to be rich, be content. Stop comparing yourself. Stop wanting to upgrade everything. Stop trying to outdo somebody else or keep up with somebody else. That will always leave you unsatisfied and empty. I quit comparing. I have enough, God. Thank you. Here's the third thing is remember your witness. This is the why. This is what it says in Philippians 2.14. He says, do everything without complaining or grumbling. Why? Verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Guys, when we complain, we repel not only people, but we basically repel people away from Jesus if you are a Christian. When we are thankful, we understand the power of this chair that's where the peace of God that surpasses understanding works in. Someone's like, man, you're sick, but yet you are thankful? How? That's the peace of God. Your thankfulness is a reflection of your walk with God. And we need to remember that when we're being negative, we're repelling people away from God. He says, in everything, without complaining and grumbling, so that you can look like Jesus. Man, he could have said, man, don't get drunk, because that, that will keep you from looking like Jesus, though that is a sin. He could have said, you know what? You just need to stop swearing. You know, just need to rein in the cussing and people will see Jesus. You know, that's important because it reflects our lifestyle with God. They could have said, you know, don't lie. Man, if you, if you just stop lying, man, you will reflect God. Now, when we lie, we align ourselves with the enemy. So, because he is the father of lies, so we shouldn't lie. But he said this, he says, if you don't complain and if you don't argue, you'll look like Jesus. If you have a loving, caring, positive, thankful, gratitude-filled heart and life, you will shine in this dark, dark world. Negativity is a relationship repellent. How can you ever expect to reflect God's goodness if you are negative? You can't. Technology has opened up a whole new way to complain. Online complaining about their spouse, neighbors, traffic, job, a president. Listen, be careful. Shine. Stop complaining. Here's the... Um, the next one is choose to rejoice no matter what. This is the win. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians in prison. And this is what he says in verse 2, not knowing if he was ever going to get out. He says this in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming 
uh, coming from your faith. He says, even if I die here in prison, even if I'm tortured and put to death and my blood is poured out, he says, if I die, he says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. He said, man, I won't complain and I won't be negative even when I am dying, even when I'm in my worst, even when I feel like my life has come to an end and everything is falling apart and I feel like no one is with me and and when I feel like God hasn't rescued me from my oppressors, he says, I will be glad and rejoice with you still. He says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He writes to a church in Thessalonica In 1 Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always. That means find the good, stop being negative. Pray continually. That means keep God's perspective. He says, and give thanks in all circumstances. Even when it doesn't make sense, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you think, well, how in the world can someone realistically really be thankful in every circumstance? Right? I had a flat tire. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Just lost my job. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. My wife is leaving me. (laughs) Yes, finally. I mean, thank you. Oh, Jesus. I pray for her. Some of you, that's not the prayer that you should be praying. But you're like, how can we, Lord, I just got the doctor's report and it's not good. God, how can I be thankful? How can I be thankful? Here's how Paul did it. Here's how he could say that. In Galatians 2.20, we get it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. See, here's the deal. Paul had already died. He died to this world. He died to this life. He discovered the true story is his story is God's story. Paul was no longer the star of the story. Christ was the star. I need seven volunteers real fast. Seven volunteers, just real fast. Come on down here. Come on, boom, 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 boom. One, two, three. I love our volunteers. Awesome. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a scenario of a stage play, and uh, I need everybody right here right now. Over here, seven people. Doesn't matter. Seven, come on over here. Hey, Jonathan, good morning, man. All right, come on over here, seven people. Here's a, hey, how are you ladies? Good morning, good morning. All right, seven people. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Excellent. All right, here's how it works. This is the last key to being truly free from negativity and to restraining the complaining. All right, we're going to set this scenario up. Here's the last key is learn to be an extra. You've got to realize that you are and extra. This is what Paul figured out. This is why he said, I'm dead. I, my life, if I'm alive, it is only for Jesus that I am alive. And, and I have figured out the key to being thankful. And that is I've learned to become an extra. So what I'm going to do is, um, I'm going to put you guys in, in different scenarios. All right, everybody huddle right here for a second. Come on over here for a second. And we're going to, well, you can face that way if you want. Yeah. All right, we're going to do some stations here, and I want you guys to help me out, all right? We're going to imagine that life is a movie, all right? Imagine that life is a, a giant production of some kind, all right? So um, we need, first of all, uh, the writer of the story. Who's the writer of the story? Jesus. Jesus. All right, you're not it, so let's go to the next phase. Nobody stays there. Come on over here. All right, so you have the writer... And then the next, the next position we need, we need someone who's going to be the, the casting person, the person who's in charge of the cast. Who's that person going to be? Well, that's going to be, that's going to be God too. All right. So I don't need any of you there. So come over to the next station right here. And, um, so, uh, we're trying to find where you guys all fit. We got seven places to put you guys. Um, so the next one is the producer. That's the person who funds the whole project. That's the person who makes sure everything happens according to plan. Who's that person that's in charge of that? Oh, that's Jesus too. All right, then we don't need you there. Come on over. One more station, a couple more. All right. Now what we have next is the role of the director. This is the one who says action and go. Okay, stop, cut. Who's that person? 
Well, that's going to be God too, I guess. All right, well, come on over to the next station because we don't need any of you there either. The next spot is the editor. Once it's all wrapped, it goes to the editor and the editor decides what the final cut is going to be. He cuts and slices and he puts together the final product. Who's that person? Well, that's Jesus too. All right, we'll run out of space. Here, why don't you guys come over here, back here to this section. Um, All right, the next person is the star, right? The actors, the people who make up the the headline, the person whose name is on the front of the book, the person whose name is on the marquee. Who's that person? Uh, Jesus. Yeah. That's right. It's Jesus too. Well, I guess, you know what? We don't need you here either. So come on over to this spot right here. Please don't knock over the Come on over here. And the last part are the extras. Those people in the background who just basically move the story along, but they listen to the writer, the producer, the director, the editor, and they're not the star. Who are the extras? You, you're the extras. You guys are the extras. And Paul figured this out. See, Paul said, I'm dead to me. I realize I'm not the star of this story. History is his story. I am just an extra in the movie of life. And you see, complaining, the bottom line is, you know why we complain? Because we think we are the star. We think we are the center of life. The ultimate characteristic of complaining is it's about me. It's about what I think. It's about what I want. It's about what I didn't get. It's about what I don't like. And somehow it doesn't fit how we think the story should go. We become our own writer, our own producer, our own casting manager, our own director. We're trying to edit our own life and we think we're the star. And God says, you know what? You'll never be happy. You'll never be fulfilled until you figure out you are an extra. You belong in the back. You're one of the, the number of people. Guys, listen, if you think you're the star, your life will go on, and 50 years from now, no one will remember you. And if they do, it'll be a sentence or a paragraph in a history book. But if you become an extra, then God will take the extra and use you in the story of eternity and make you a star. If we humble himself, the Bible says if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. God is not on the throne trying to figure out how to make us happy. He does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. He is the king. He is the main character. We are not. We complain when we think we are the main character. The root is a deep, profound issue of our perspective. When you put God at the center of your life, you understand how devastatingly negative and comparing and complaining is. Stop being the center of your story. We need to change our perspective. We need to learn to take a seat, let God be God, and be thankful for what he's given to us and rest in the gratitude of his goodness. You guys can go ahead and run to your seat real quick. Some of you in the band, I guess, may want to stay up here because we're about to wrap it up. If you guys want to go ahead and let's give it up for our extras. Negativity is at the heart of the issue. Look at this in Philippians 4. We're continuing that story. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, he says, think about these things. We need to quit our stinking thinking and start getting a fresh perspective of how God looks at our life. Guys, we we need to learn to be thankful more than just on Thanksgiving. This is a life-changing decision in your life. Again, if you, will, if you decide to continue being a grumbler and a complainer, you'll die in the desert. You'll never reach your promised land. It's an issue of the heart. Luke 6.45 says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is about knowing and understanding and trusting the heart of God. For the next five days, I've got this on your worship guide. For the next five days, I want you to write down every day five things you're thankful for every day. For the next five days. Who thinks they can do that? That basically that puts you day five on Friday, right? Or if you start today, it'll put you on Thanksgiving. And by Thanksgiving, you'll have, you know, 20 things that you're thankful about. Or 25 things. Write down five things, excuse me, you're thankful for every day. And maybe post it on Facebook. If you're a postbook person, uh, Facebook person, post it on, uh, that's the new uh, social network site, postbook. Uh, Put it on Facebook 
And uh, if you're not a Facebook person, then put it on a post-it note, put it on your mirror, and add to it every day. Uh, write it down. Watch what happens when you quit being negative. A great verse in Psalms is this. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. You've been given good things. God has blessed you. You want to know how good God is? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know how good God is? The Bible says that this is what love is. While we were still enemies of God, Jesus laid down his life for us. That's good. That's the goodness of God in our life. He's been good to you, and he loves you so much. Can you take a seat and rest in him today? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your faithfulness. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to be thankful in every circumstance. God, if there's anyone here that has never truly understood the cross and, and your goodness, Lord, I pray that today would be the day when they understand how good you have been to them and how faithful you have been to them and how you brought them here today so that they could meet you. If you're here today in the next few minutes as we wrap up the service, I want to challenge you just to talk to God. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want you to change the way I look at life, my perspective. I realize I am an extra. God, I give you control. Write me into your story where I can make history. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.